Welcome to the Growth Lab. I am Tej Singh, personal growth enthusiast, world traveler, sales professional on a spiritual journey to live my highest expression. This podcast is meant for individuals looking to evolve in all aspects of their lives. I interview leaders and coaches that have a passion to grow beyond the status quo and expand into their highest potential. Let's dive into it as we help you get 1% better with every episode. What's up, Growth Labbers? I'm so excited to announce our guest for episode 14, Kristen Brabant. Kristen is a success coach and helps female entrepreneurs achieve their biggest professional and personal goals with greater ease and enjoyment. She's the founder of the Call to Create Online Course and Solopreneur Circle, a monthly business training and coaching program to help the one-woman show business grow in community without the burnout. Her tools, workshops, and business coaching have supported female entrepreneurs internationally to swap old patterns of harried overdrive for laser-focused priorities and new habits to lead a more fulfilling, impactful, and vibrant business. In this episode, we cover Kristen's journey to becoming a success coach, looking back at your childhood to find your purpose in decade-worthy work, specific tools and practices you can use to find alignment and purpose in life, what to do if you're in a transition phase in your life, business, or career, and much more. Personally, Kristen and I are good friends. Kristen and I met through a mutual friend in SF, and I've always respected her empowering and uplifting perspective in life. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I left energized after speaking with Kristen, and I think you guys will have the same effect. So let's wait no longer and dive right in. Kristen, thank you for joining us for an episode of The Growth Lab all the way from Mexico. By the way, we'll get to that story later, but thank you for joining us. Oh, it's so good to be with you, Tej. I'm really excited for today. Yeah, same here. Same here. I think this episode is going to be really special and uh, we're going to get to to your story and a lot of lot of juicy content within that. Um, I think where I want to start, Kristen, and we were talking about this a little bit prior, is yeah. really, you know, every coach and you are a success coach and every coach has a different story as to how they got to where they got to, right? You know, it's not a traditional path, uh, you know, where you go to college and you pick a degree for coaching and then you say, okay, I'm going to become a coach. It's, 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 it's a special every journey. Every little girl's dream. Yeah, right. right? But I, I find that every coach had to go through their own individual journey to realize that, you know, they want to become a coach. So that's where I want to start. I want to start to you know, your journey to becoming a coach and what did that look like? And you can kind of share as, as, as much as it comes up and then kind of we'll follow the thread onwards. You should be careful about saying, Kristen, share as much as comes up because <laughs> these poor people are going to listen to me yabber on for an hour about this. But, um, you know, I think there's, there's a couple main places that being a coach came from, a couple like very key influences. And one of them was this path that I went on to become a teacher. And I think a lot of us have these paths in life where we first think we're destined to become something and maybe not everybody. Right. But I thought I was born to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My grandma was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. Everybody in my life was a teacher. And so from the time I was three years old, I would set up like all my dolls and class was in session. I was, you know, a control freak from the beginning and I would teach them and um, that's, that's how I actually navigated or directed my career path in the beginning was to be a teacher and those were my biggest mentors in life. And I, um, I went through school and in high school, I got this clarity of like, yes, my dream is become an outstanding world-class educator. And I went to UC Berkeley and I pursued um, my minor in education. And I loved that. I loved working in schools with um, kids from underserved communities. This felt really meaningful and purposeful to me. And then I went to Boston and I got my master's in education in teaching. And I was miserable. Um, <laughs> and... I like to cut the, you know, a long story short, I wound up quitting, but that wasn't 
I think that kind of cheapens these types of stories where there was a lot of pain building up to letting go of this identity that I had built up of being a teacher. And that's really scary. It's really scary when you think I'm put on this earth to be this, I am a teacher. And then you cut off that identity and you're like, well, what the hell am I now? If not that, and hello, you just invested however many years of education and training and you know career time into becoming this thing. And that was a prescribed path. And now that's gone. And the teaching path led me to be a coach in two main ways. First, it helped me God, so many more than two. What am I talking about? <laughs> you know, it, what I realized in, in making my decision to quit my master's program was what gave me life was facilitating. I love facilitating for a group and I still do. And that, you know, pursuing my master's in teaching gave me such an edge as a coach where I feel really comfortable facilitating groups. And I feel, I, I light up getting to craft a workshop. That's so fun for me. And I also realized as a teacher that what gave me life was, it wasn't teaching English. On it, listen world. <laughs> English does, I, I really don't give two shits. Um, sorry, not sorry. And, I wanted that for the kids though. I wanted the kids to have a teacher who does give all the shits about English and that wasn't going to be me. But what I did love, what I did live for was at 4 PM when a kid would come up to my desk after school was out and sit on the edge of my desk and tell me about their life and tell me about their big dreams and that I would get to be that person in their life. And maybe they're in transition. You know, I worked in a lot of underserved schools and oftentimes kids in these kinds of communities, there's a lot going on. And, you know, parents can be out of the picture. You might be moving to multiple homes. You might not have stable adults in your life. And the honor of getting to sit with a human and ask them about what do they really want for their life? And then be that person who tells them like, oh, hell yes, you can do that and watch them light up with this belief in themselves, that was everything to me. And so te quitting teaching, practicing teaching, and then quitting teaching both led me to this realization of like, oh, coaching is something that really lights me up. And at the time, I didn't have the word coaching for that. That mm. came later, you know? But it was something that when I reflected, um, after my next career path, <laughs> these, these journeys are twisty. Um, as I was ending my next career path, it was something that I reflected on and I had the language then of what is coaching to be like, I was coaching then, and that is what gave me life. And then in this new job, coaching once again was the one thing that like I came the most alive doing. And I'd say Another really big thing that led me to become a coach was being bullied in school. Mm. And um, I, in middle school, in the sixth and seventh grade, I was bullied really severely. There were these girls, we were best of friends in elementary school, thick as thieves, these gals and myself. <laughs> and um, it, it was very mean girls. Like sometimes you wonder, is that stuff real? And in coming to Mexico, I've had people be like, are Americans really like this? Not all Americans are like this, but I had this experience in middle school where two girls, um, they were at a sleepover and they just kind of did like drama roulette and they decided to pick one girl in the friend group that they were going to kind of like sabotage it's it's really out of this world kind of stuff to me like how does that even how is that even a possibility but they wound up um just i i was the lucky lucky girl and um they wound up driving all of my friends away and spreading rumors about me and 
I, for a couple of years, would eat almost every single lunch in my teacher's classrooms, just trying to hide from them. Um, and they would come and look for me and find me and sit next to me and whisper really hateful things in my ear. So for about two years, I'd come home almost every day after school and I would just cry. And man, the empathy that that gave me for feeling like an outsider and feeling like you aren't worth something. And what really led to coaching was my dad's response to that. So my dad, um, on the nights that he was around, he traveled for work, but in the nights that he was around, he would take me out on a walk. He'd leash up our dog and um, Shari, and he would take us out on a walk at night and it would be just us walking around the park and he'd ask me how my day was. And he knew how my day had gone. Like <laughs> he knew it was gonna be another really terrible kind of day. Um, and I would cry, but my dad never stepped in to fix my problems. And I can't, I have so much respect for him because I can't imagine what it would feel like to be a parent watching your kid suffer like that every single day. I mean, as a parent, as if when I become a parent, I could imagine myself being like ready to put the gloves on and be like, let me handle this chick, this baby <laughs> who thinks she's all that, you know? I'm coming for you, Brittany. But he didn't. Um, he, he gave me space to solve my own problems and he asked me questions. And he pushed me to think about where might they be coming from to inflict pain on another person. And, um, and he would ask me questions that forced me to consider how am I growing from this? Like what faculties in me is this developing instead of letting me stay in this victim mindset, which is very easy when you're being bullied to be like, they're doing this to me and they are. But his nightly walks time and time again, that where he didn't tell me what to do, he didn't step in and take care of it for me, but he asked me questions that constantly practiced flipping the circumstances around to like, how is this a gift? How is this growing me? How do I choose to respond instead of just reacting? That really, um, I feel like laid the foundation for coaching um, for years to come. It really shifted how I responded to life. And I think it, it shows up in every single one of my sessions now with my clients. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I love those two components, right? One is the, the teaching aspect, right? You knowing and, and that incorporates into what you do today with facilitating and, and being an educator, but not in the traditional way of things. And then, right. and then obviously the, 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 the deeper rooted uh, reason, right? With your childhood and how that, and that's beautiful. That's a beautiful kind of reason as to how you can bring that back. And, um, and oftentimes the things that happen in childhood you know, kind of stay with us, right? For, for Absolutely. <laughs> forever, right? We, we, we operate, we operate from those places. So it's, it's nice that you have the awareness to go back and say, you know, I have this skill that I've incorporated from this time. So I love your awareness that you're able to kind of go back to that time. Cause oftentimes we forget about those periods of times, right? We don't really correlate it back. And that was, you said it was middle school. So that was, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I really, I really believe that, one of the workshops that I do is about finding your, what I call decade worthy work, like that work that you would be willing to invest 10, 20 years into fulfilling, into, you know, putting out into the world because it's so meaningful and true to you. And one of the exercises that I do is I have people look back at their childhoods and look for those breadcrumbs of like, what lit you up? What did you gravitate towards? from the time that you were a little kid without any prompting, you know, when you were alone and you just naturally gravitated towards certain things, that's something that I have people do because it's true. I think there's a lot of clues from when we're a kid. And if we had the privilege to be left to our own devices and get to explore, sometimes you don't get that privilege in life, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I got that privilege. I was, I 
was able to play, you know, I was able to like think, you know, explore what, what was fun for me instead of having to do what other people told me to do. Um, and it's fascinating how people are like, Oh, I've loved this since I was like six, you know? And it's funny how, as we get older, we go through this journey of following what other people tell us is the path to success or what's going to lead to security. Um, what's going to lead to worldly success, right? Um, what's going to be something that is respectable. Um, and we kind of lose our way from those natural gifts and joys that we knew from the time we were kids was, was ours, mm. right? Those talents that we express as kids. Um, and then we find our way back, hopefully, right? If with reflection, you can find your way back to that and man, when you do, if you have the courage, if you summon the courage to go for that, and it doesn't have to be your full-time job, um, that's not for everybody, but to pursue it in your adulthood, that is so fulfilling and meaningful and also a gift to the rest of this planet, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, you know, I, I, there's so much yes to that, you know, and because uh, in the previous episodes that we've had thus far, right, yeah. this this is this is coming up to be the common thread of the stories where folks have gone through their own respective hero's journey, and yeah. they came to the realization: wait, you know, I'm I'm just following this this way of being, but this is not really me. Um, and then I often pose the question to to our guest: is okay, where does one go from there? Because we all kind of reach to that point in, a, in our own way, if somebody has already reached it or they're kind of feeling like disconnected with what they do. And not, especially this year with COVID happening and all the, all the shit that's going on in the world, people are a lot more introspective, right? If, if, if they are lucky enough to not be uh, impacted directly, right? They're introspective to say, you know, what am I doing in life? What is super essential? And what you mentioned is, is I think it's such a key practice to employ where you can journal about this, or you can kind of go yeah. back to your childhood. And those are breadcrumbs that you can follow and say, what does light me up? What did light me up? And what, what, yeah. what, at what period of time in my life did I conform to the societal construct of becoming this, whatever that may be right. for you. Um, right. So I love, I love that practice to go back. It's, it's, it's one tool you can explore. For you, do you feel like you had breadcrumbs or clues to, who you'd become um, in your own childhood. Can you see that? It's, it's not so clear because, you know, it's interesting for me. My childhood has been very interesting, right? Because I grew up in India. So wow. some of the passions I had in India didn't really translate to uh, when I was here. What I mean by that, I loved cricket. So cricket is a, a, a sport that's played largely in the rest of the world, but the United States. So I, I was born in so India. then you have to like <laughs> spend time explaining it to all of your American listeners. Like it, there's this thing called cricket that yeah. the, of the world plays, except you. You, <laughs> exactly. Americans so then, are like, say more. Yeah. <laughs> so It's I, not all about <laughs> It's like baseball, right? Like here. Uh, so when I came here, um, you know, that was one of the things that I couldn't continue on. But at the same time, I think, you know, when I think about my background and growing up, I've always been someone that's um, been looked at as a guide, just even growing, even my parents at a young age, you know, so there's, yeah. there's those breadcrumbs I've always gone back to. I, you know, I, I've been a natural leader, even when I was at a young age, um, not because I was trying from an egoic place, it was just, so I was able to translate um, what was really important for folks, right? Kind of take it, take what they would give me and then translate it back and help them understand something more, right? So, that, so that's something that I've explored as I've reflected on my, on my childhood. It wasn't so cut and dry yeah. as to like, you know, this was the thing. It was more convoluted because I, you know, kind of moved around so much, but there was a thread that I could kind of bring back and wow, like this is, this does light me up, so. And I'm sure that leadership quality showed up in cricket too. You know, yeah. I, I don't, they're probably not mutually exclusive at all. I'm sure you brought your leadership quality to the cricket field or whatever, the pitch. What is it called? What is it? Yeah, yeah, field. Where does one play? F okay. Field. <laughs> cricket, great, yeah, on yeah. the field. I'm yeah. sure you brought it there too. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's such a key practice. Are there any other practices that you can recommend as we're on the topic? Um, mm-hmm. Because I think this is an important point, and I've I've found in like I said in a lot of episodes we're coming to this right. So yeah. I want to give the audience some tools to absolutely you know explore because it doesn't have to be extreme, right? Because I find no, you know because no. because when I share my story, right, I. Uh, and I've shared it in, in bits and pieces throughout the episodes where, you know, I obviously, and, and I think it was around the time that I was leaving, we, you and I met where I was selling my stuff in SF and I was moving to, to Europe and I traveled. And I think that's good for some people, right? It was really good for me, but that doesn't have to be the thing that you do to explore your purpose, right? So I want to give the, I want to give the audience some tools. So beyond the going back to childhood and exploring that through, through journaling, maybe what else would you recommend? Well, even to just flesh out that exercise, because I'm still a teacher at heart, and I'm like, but wait, Tage, there's more. There's, there's, more. <laughs> there's three other steps in the process, Tage. Yes, please um, tell us. Please remind us. <laughs> standard 2A.1. Um, any teachers in the crowd will get that joke. Anyways, um, one exercise just to round out that first one that I would recommend is getting out your journal and pen. And looking back at different epics of your life and what lit you up the most, when did you feel the most confident in yourself? What brought you the most joy? So something that I'm always paying attention to for myself and when I'm coaching clients is is our energy. And this goes with, you know, I coach women entrepreneurs and a lot of the times what gets in the way of them going for a product idea is our head telling us that that's, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't pursue that. But what I'm listening for is their energy. Do you light up when you talk about this thing or do you shrink? Do do you experience dread? Whatever. So looking back at these different epics of your life and I break it into in my workshop your childhood. So the things that you naturally gravitated towards um, that was play for you when left to your own devices. I'm not talking about the stuff that mom or dad forced you to to do. I'm talking about the things that like when you were zoning out, what what did you gravitate towards? Or when you played, if you got the opportunity to play freely, what did you gravitate towards? What were the things that lit you up? And looking at that from the age um, of like, you know, one to about seven is a really good um, chunk because that's about the time before school starts telling us how to behave and act and be, and we start kind of getting into the system. So like one to seven, what lit you up? What did you gravitate towards? And then breaking it into another chunk of your um your adolescent years so from seven to like your teens and in that chunk of time in school perhaps what lit you up what did you go and want to learn more about naturally and i have people think about even your extracurriculars um if you were fortunate enough to get to pursue extracurriculars um you know, in sports, not just looking at the sport or the activity, but what about that activity lit you up? Like you, um, I'd be really fascinated to do this with you and, and cricket. It's not cricket wholesale. There's different aspects of it that gave you life. Perhaps, you know, I'll speak for myself in soccer. What lit me up was working honestly with a team and a group and also having an outlet as a woman to express aggression. And I mean that totally sincerely. Like I have power inside of me and I started off in ballet, but like I couldn't stand ballet and I love to watch ballerinas. They're so gorgeous and graceful. It makes me cry. They're so beautiful. But for me, I felt restricted in ballet. Soccer was an outlet for my natural like power and potency and aggression to come out in a socially acceptable way as a woman. Um, I'd love for people to think about, you know, in the activity that lit them up, that they got a lot of joy from, what was it about that activity that they were doing that 
lit them up. And then the other area that I have people look at is your, your career, your work life. And that can span a lot of years. That can span just a few years. Um, and, and even in your work life, going back to the jobs that you might have held down as a teen. Um, my work life, you know, one of the breadcrumbs for myself that told me, oh, you actually have a really strong entrepreneurial spirit. When I did this for myself, was looking back at what did I do as a kid? I made up businesses as a kid, Tej, but I was so focused on this education career that I didn't even think about that in my reflection. It was only after just following the clients that lit me up the most, which happened to be small business owners, that then I reflected back and I was like, God bless America. I've been loving this since I was like eight and Kendall and I would create our damn dog daycare business. And I, you know, flyered the entire Three Springs neighborhood with flyers about, let me take care of your dog. And, um, you know, there were some failed businesses. My jewelry making skills are nothing to write home about, but, um, my babysitting business was booming. But, you know, looking at your career, looking at your work life and the things that lit you up the most, not writing a job off wholesale. There are jobs in my life that suck the life out of me, but looking at them and paying attention to what aspects of that job gave me life, what aspects of that job sucked the life out of me. Mm. Um, and that is an exercise in and of itself called consolation and desolation jour journaling. Um, that comes from Ignatian spirituality. So you can do this on a daily basis. And I did that leading up to my decision to leave my job and go full-time in my business because I was so wrapped up in fear in my brain about leaving a paycheck, um, leaving health insurance that was guaranteed, leaving the 401k. I love security. Love it. Um, so I was so in my head, I needed something to track over time. Like, Kristen, what, what's really giving you life and what's really wasting it? And it was, it was so easy for me at the end of the day to say I was unhappy with my job. But when, if I let myself stay there, that was really robbing me of the opportunity to mine that experience for all of the wisdom that it held. So not writing these jobs off wholesale is like, that was a shit job or like, that was the best job I ever had. Looking at it and breaking it down. And I realized in breaking down my last job, what consistently gave me life were the coaching moments. Were the moments where I was doing performance coaching, career coaching for young adults who were starting their corporate careers at um, large tech companies that gave me life. What sucked the life out of me was being told what to do, um, <laughs> being in meetings, um, and restricting my coaching to a very specific form of corporate coaching. That felt constrictive because I knew that I had a lot more to bring to the table that wasn't appropriate in a corporate sense. Hmm. And so I, I knew that to to express the fullness of me, I was going to have to leave. But that wasn't like a, their kind of insight because there was a lot of blankets of fear covering up that insight. And it took that consolation, that daily consolation and desolation journaling for me to have the evidence that you can't ignore right there in front of you on the page of like, hmm, interesting. For the last six months, you've been saying the same damn thing that lights you up and the thing that sucks the life out of you. This isn't a fluke. <laughs> because when you're scared, your brain's going to convince you like, oh, maybe this is just a phase or like, no, it's really not that bad. Like I've had all these other great times where, you know, um, like things really turned around. I think things are on the up and up, like to keep you right where you are. But if you have it, down in a journal and this takes five minutes at night before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. You write your C's for consolation, well, colon, what's a moment in your day that lit you up? D for desolation, 
What's a moment in your day that sucked the life out of you? We're always investing energy in every given moment, right? I'm investing energy in this podcast. But as I'm speaking to you on this podcast, it's giving me life and energy manifold back. Now, Tash, if we were with something that I absolutely cannot stand, traffic. <laughs> if we were sitting in a car driving together and I'm investing energy by being in this car with you or I'm driving and there are people who don't know how to drive, I have growth edges, um, that would suck the life out of me. And when you pay attention to these things over time, it takes five minutes at night. You've got the concrete evidence in front of you so that your brain can't, you know, your, your ego, your fear-based brain, who's just trying to keep you safe and right where you are, can't convince you of a different storyline that's not true. Um, that exercise is really freaking valuable. I can see why you're a great educator as you were explaining that and, you know, Thanks. kind of going step by step. And I love the way that you broke it down. And I don't, I don't think we need many more practices because, you know, what I like to say in uh, my episodes is, is helping the audience get 1% better or them to yeah. take one or two things away from an episode. So if, if that in itself, you know, it's such a powerful practice. So I emphasize that and I say, you know, if you're going to take one thing away, take that away, you know, because it's, yeah. it's, it's such a beautiful practice and it can really, you know, the other reflection that I was having as you were talking through that is don't think of life and whatever has happened to date as um, wrong direction or wrong steps. Everything is the right step towards your path and everything, you know, when you start to reflect back and I've, you know, done reflections, not exactly in that way, but in a similar way, when I've contemplated in life, you can kind of see the thread amongst all the things, even the things that you thought weren't for you, you had to learn something from that as well. So it's Always. such a, such a beautiful practice to go back and, and contemplate in that way. And you know, the only other thing I would add here is for someone who is trying to discern what's next for them or what is that career path that really lights them up or what's that business idea that really lights them up making time to be silent and quiet with yourself is essential because that being in that part of the hero's journey of, I know this isn't working for me, but I don't know what's going to work for me ahead. Mm -hmm. Right. Being in that middle ground, that middle passage, there's a lot of fear that pop comes up and that fear is there to keep you right where you are because your subconscious mind is freaked out and it doesn't want you to die because it doesn't know that you're going to live on the other side of that unknown. And so it's throwing up everything possible to keep you right where you are. And when we experience fear, a natural tendency is to run. And we run in a lot of different ways. I run to the refrigerator. <laughs> I know that if my, like, the top half of my body is deep inside that refrigerator and I'm looking for those damn ice cream bars I know I didn't buy because I know myself that I do this, I know I'm running. For other people, it's alcohol or drugs or sex, um, constantly being busy. We run in a lot of different ways when we're scared. That's why it's so important to build a habit of being quiet and sitting and not running because your life is trying to tell you something. And if you keep running, it is going to attempt to tell you something in louder and more terrifying ways than it is presently. I've gone through this firsthand as I was about to leave my, um, my teaching career and trying to discern, do I stay in the master's program, don't I? The messages just kept getting louder. Disease started popping up in my body and I've always been an exceptionally healthy person. Infections would pop up in my body and the doctor would be like, oh, this is normal. Like here's another antibiotic. And I'm like, this is not normal, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this is not normal. I would wake up every single morning with extreme anxiety and it's because I was running. 
I was avoiding sitting with and listening to the messages my life was trying to tell me. Oprah talks about this all the time and Oprah's always freaking right. Um, <laughs> your life is always speaking to you and we have to create a dedicated time consistently to listen. And I know that that's really scary. I feel scared often before I meditate and I've been meditating since I was seven years old. And I am still scared to sit and not run. But man, if you make that time, you're going to be guided and you're going to be able to understand what do you need to let go of and what do you need to step towards. And oftentimes we're only given like one next step, you know, oftentimes it's not like the heavens open up and it's like, Tej, you're meant to be the best cricket player in the world, you know? That's not usually how it goes. It's kind of the next step that gets revealed to you. But God, if you make that time to sit and not run, um, that can be really transformative and helpful when you're in that middle ground of this isn't working, but I don't know what's going to work for me next. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. That practice, I would say, of sitting in stillness. Um, and obviously there's different formats of that, of, yes. of meditations. Um, but that practice in itself, you know, changed my life. You know, I, I gained so much awareness through sitting in stillness and getting to know myself without the distractions, right? without running to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up now. And that could actually be coupled with the journaling practice, right? If, if you were to sit in, in stillness first and then journal, um, now, within the practice itself of sitting with yourself, someone that hasn't, you know, hasn't mm -hmm. been introduced to meditations or even just sitting in stillness, you know, yeah. how can one actually put that into practice? So is it just, you know, closing your eyes and just listening? You know, what, what can you give a framework for someone that's just getting started out? Totally. Um, the first thing is, I think before you give any steps to do this, step zero is recognizing meditation freaks the shit out of most of us. Even somebody who's been practicing it, like I said, I've been practicing since I was seven. I'm now 30. That's 23 years. Math is not my strong suit, but I think we pulled through. Yeah. <laughs> 23 years. I still, before my meditation, suddenly have the impulse to clean everything in sight, distract myself with my cell phone, and run in various ways. 23 freaking years and I still try to run before I sit. So I like to start with that because a lot of my clients before I, you know, as I'm recommending meditation, they're like, oh, I've tried meditating, but it's just not for me. And I'm like, really? Tell me about your experience. And they tell me about their experience, about how they like, you know, they sit and all these things pop up in their head. I'm like, sounds like every meditation I've ever had. <laughs> Stick with it. Um, why why like, do you, yeah, and I'm glad you did. Why do you think that is? And I think you spoke to it a little bit, but I think that's important to understand. Like, why do we run away from yeah. uh, stillness and why do we run away from meditation? And I think you spoke to it a little bit, but uh, I think that's important to reflect on. It's just a protective mechanism, right? It's just the mind, once again, trying to take control of the motherboard and protect you from going and doing something any expansion of you a book i really recommend is the war of art not the art of war by lao tzu the <laughs> the war of art by stephen pressfield um, where he talks about resistance and i always think about resistance he he personifies it in a lot of really different helpful ways so that you can see your own resistance and it's a really quick read but resistance is rearing up and he he talks about art is anything that will lead to a fuller expression of you to a heightened fuller expression of you so it doesn't have to be painting Art can be starting your business. Art can be practicing forgiveness and generosity in your relationship instead of defaulting to blame and shut down. Um, it can be a lot of different things. 
but he talks about that resistance comes up anytime there is a threat of art being created. And in meditation, that is absolutely an exercise that threatens to lead to a fuller expression of you. You already named it, Tej. You're like, I got a lot of really valuable insights from doing that. Some of the most important insights of my life and realizations of my life came from it. Yeah, it's an exercise that's going to threaten to expand you. When that happens, our subconscious mind tries to protect us. And um, one of its best modalities is distraction. Um, and so I know to anticipate in the first 15 minutes of my meditation, my mind is absolutely bonkers. Sometimes in really scary ways, sometimes in somewhat amusing ways. Like I, I recently sat down for an hour long meditation at the advice of Kyle Cease and um, who's another great person to check out if anybody's interested. He's a comedian and a spiritual guy and he just makes spirituality and like that path so freaking funny and enjoyable where some people take themselves too damn seriously. He's so refreshing. So I sit down for this hour long meditation. The first 15 minutes, the thoughts that are going through my head are, oh, oh, you know what? Don't, don't forget that we should be waking up early to go to the bakery because you could get the best baked goods in the city before anybody else gets the best baked goods in the city. We don't, we, you know what? You should get out your phone and record that so that you don't forget. Like that's the shit that's going on in my head. And then it went to, when that didn't work, when I keep sitting, right? And just being like, what we're thinking about today it goes to are you ready to date are you really ready to date how do you know if you're ready to date maybe you're not ready to date maybe you're going to be alone forever <laughs> oh, that would be sad that would be very very sad god you feel sad right now don't you and that is a scary place to sit with your own sadness and your own fears, whatever they are, of being alone or unloved. That's the first 15 minutes for me, pretty religiously. <laughs> but if you can sit and not invest your emotional energy into that, not take hold of that thought and be like, fuck, she's right. She's right. I'm going to be alone forever. And instead, just let it pass and keep sitting. And that's where, honestly, a timer is really helpful for me because if I don't have a timer going, sometimes I will give in and be like, oh, meditation's done. I'm done with that thought. No thanks. <laughs> um, having a timer helps me be like, no, not yet. Just stay. Sit, stay, don't run. Um, that really helps me because then the next, you know, if I was doing an hour long meditation, which is not my norm, but in this case it was, um, there is this opening and this peace that settles in and you don't think it's coming because it's such a crap fiesta beforehand. But if you wait long enough, it comes. And I, I know this from my running practice and other people will identify with this too. The first three miles of my run are horrible. I hate the first three miles of my run. It is painful the whole time I'm looking at people and cursing them in my head and being like, I hate all of you. This sucks. And then at mile four, my body just surrenders to what we're doing. And you only get that kind of wisdom in your body or in you know, your spirit if you practice. And that kind of wisdom of like, just hold out for mile four, it's gonna get better, or minute 15, it's gonna, like, this will pass, helps you stick it out and be available to that ineffable kind of experience, you know, like where it's, there's just peace and there's a love for yourself and there is a calmness and then insights come to you, ideas, possibilities, 
kind of intuitive hits of like, you should call that person, go call that person afterward, not during your meditation, because <laughs> then, then you give up. But, um, you know, this is a long winded way of saying stick with it. Yeah, it's a crap fiesta at the beginning, stick with it, <laughs> use a timer. When my clients are first starting out, I really recommend um, Headspace. They ha they've had a lot of success with Headspace. And I think Headspace allows you to track keep a tracker of how many days you've meditated in a row. And that totally works with human psychology. Like we love to see progress over time and you're not going to want to have one unchecked box in your little month long tracker. It's going to inspire you to find a way to save 10 minutes to be quiet and not run in your day. Even if it happens at 1030 at night on a really busy day. And that can happen, especially for parents where you are being of service to small bundles of joy slash gremlins all day long. <laughs> um, so I really recommend Headspace. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, that's so beautiful that you walk through that in that way, because, you know, if there is one tool that I've, and I've, I've shared this previously, there's one tool that has had the biggest impact, it would be meditation. Right. And, um, and it, it is that way in the beginning. So I concur. Right. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it, yeah, it is that way. It is. And, and the, the point is it's never going to be not that way because the function of the mind is to think. Right. Yeah. And, and that is okay, but you have to cut through the noise to actually hear your heart. Right. And that won't happen uh, when you're just staying on your mental plane, right. You're not allowing your, your whole being to get quiet and baby steps, right? Just starting is, is step number one to start. Even that's one minute, two minutes, three minutes, and then going to 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you, and you will get to, when you get to the point of getting through that noise, as Kristen beautifully described, you will see the, the, the benefits, right? And you'll see how your body changes and you see how you think different, right? And it's, and, and don't get too attached to the outcomes either. Just do the practice yeah. and, and you'll Great see, point. and you'll see the results. Don't be going into it saying, you know, nothing happened. It's five days and I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not a different person now. Right. And it's a, that's a big one because that's again, the game of the mind looking for the outcomes and the goals, right? I'm going to crush this meditation for 30 days and I'm going to be a different person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it's so true. And it's so important to mention on a podcast that's going to attract people that are drawn to personal growth, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're drawn to personal growth, there's a great chance you're a pretty ambitious person. Us ambitious folks love a good outcome. Love me a result. Love me a goddamn trophy at the end. Love me the like, I have achieved X, Y, Z. And that is so, I've experienced that all the time in meditation is like, what am I going to get out of this meditation? And then I have to redirect and be like, perhaps absolutely nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and you okay. you show up for it anyways. <laughs> yeah, and it, that's hard for, the, for, for you know, the outcome-based or the type A personalities to, to fathom, yeah. right? If I'm not going to get anything out of it. It's kind of like I, I like to you know, compare it to sleeping or uh, you know, brushing your teeth. You're mm. going to do it because you know it's to benefit to you. Right. You're not going to just not brush your teeth. Be like, I, I didn't get wider today. So I'm not right, gonna, right. Yeah. You know, I, I really don't see a noticeable difference in my plaque buildup. So yeah. I'm well, done with teeth brushing. Yeah. I, I think it's that essential in life. And I, and I hope we come to a point where everyone does employ this practice and, you know, it, it's just sitting with yourself, right? Stillness, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I emphasize it and I keep on this topic because I do think if somebody employs this, right, because the answers are all in, within you. Right. And if, if you do, you know, you beautifully explain this middle area and I was in that for a long time. And, and I think you go through different variations of that middle ground, right. Where Absolutely. you don't know what the next step is. So whenever that happens, or you do find yourself in that space, sit with yourself and it might not be the answer that the mind is looking for. It's because it's looking for that silver bullet answer. Um, but it's going to come from you and it's going to take some time and it's going to take some time sp spending time with yourself. Right. So, uh, Again, thank you for bringing that up because it's such an important point. And you can couple that 
with the earlier practice that you mentioned, Kristen, is the journaling, right? Because you're going to get insights. You're going to have other things that you're going to be in a clearer space. So then you can journal and you can kind of reflect on that. So those two things coupled are very powerful. Um, and, you know, like speaking to my people who are in that space, because these are my favorite humans, like I, and we're all those humans. So you're all my favorites, <laughs> my favorite people to work with who are, are in that middle ground. And I want to reiterate, it's terrifying there. It's really freaking scary when you are questioning, like, does anything that I've done matter? what am I here to do? And then, you know, you like flip open Instagram and everybody's like, I'm living my best life just because I went for it. And then you're like, well, fuck, I'm not going for it. So I'm not living my best life and I'm worthless, right? This is a very easy thing to fall into. Um, when I was in that not here, but not there place myself um, before starting my business, something that really helped me was um, filling my mind when my mind didn't have anything positive to say. I was in a very negative space when left to my own devices. I chose consciously to enter into a positive space, but the default was negativity because I was so miserable in my job. The thing that really helped me was when I kind of, I told myself, if my brain doesn't have anything nice to say, then I'm going to fill it with people's voices that do have something worthwhile listening to. So I would get ready for my day playing um, Michael Beckwith's um, Sunday services. So Michael Beckwith is a spiritual teacher who I know you're familiar with, Tej. Um, he runs the Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles. I, and he has an archive online at agapelive.com of literally years worth of Sunday services, years worth. And I would just, I would like, I binged those Sunday services. And while I brushed my teeth, while I made my coffee, while I got dressed, while I put on my makeup, I would just listen to those over and over again to prime myself for the day to go into it from an empowered place. And one of the things that he would say over and over during the, the ministries that I was listening to in the morning was pain pushes until the vision pulls and that there was value in that pain, that there was value in this winter season that you're in where it is dark and it hurts and to just stay and mine it for the treasure that it has for you. And I was committed to that. That's, that's the idea that got me through that really dark time is pain pushes until the vision pulls. And that vision's gonna pull me, but I have to sit in my winter and mine this pain for the gift that it's waiting to give me. And sometimes people will watch you be in pain, watch you be confused and tell you that's not normal, that's not natural you should go do blank. And I got really protective actually of my winter, of my dark season, and would tell people like, no, actually this has some wisdom for me and I'm gonna sit with it. And if my sadness or my discomfort makes you uncomfortable, um, then you can leave. <laughs> and that was fucking revolutionary for me. And I just want to offer that to people, that if you're in your own winter season, it holds a gift. It holds wisdom. It's got a treasure. And sit and listen for what that wisdom is. Because man, when you get it and you buck up the courage to take action on it, that is going to put you on a path that is the best fucking ride of your life. Yeah. That's so powerful. I, I, I so appreciate that you bring that piece up, normalizing the hard places and the dark places, the winter season, right? Because um, that's not really normalized. We're, we're programmed to look for the joy and the happiness all the time. All the time. And that's just not the human experience, right? So then when a, 
uh, a feeling or a thought, a negative thought or a feeling that's not so appeasing comes up, we want to run to something that you know kind of su- supersedes that in some way. So I, I appreciate you normalizing that and that being, you know, looking for the gift in that and so important because every emotion or everything that's coming up, it's there to teach you something if you exactly. mind it for its gift. Um, so very powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Kristen. Now, as we come close to our time, I think I'm going to talk about a new season in your life. So you're in Mexico and I started the conversation that way. And I think that goes to, you know, some of what we were talking about, right? You go through different seasons and you go through different times in your life and you got to continue to step into, you know, following your intuition and following your heart. While you've done that, you're in Mexico, you've left SF recently um, yeah. and you, you followed something that you really wanted to do. So I want to, you know, tell, tell us what's going on. Why are you in Mexico? <laughs> what a question, man, Paige. Um, that's just one of those funny, weird things that my heart has told me to do for a long time now. When I've sat in silence myself and visualized myself, like fully expressed, right? Like, what's my dream? You know, when I've just let myself kind of think about me being the happiest I can be my work is in there and I see myself, you know, doing my workshops, doing my teaching, doing my coaching on, on larger and grander scales, but also it is living in Mexico and there are feelings that come up with that of, um, being in Mexico and being surrounded by family, having the dinner table full of food and connection and my favorite music playing. And, um, that dream has felt like the someday thing to me, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, when at some undescribed time, it's going to be the right time for you to go and get that beach house in Mexico. And the benefit of being a coach is like, you talk to people about like not buying into their own bullshit all day long. So it makes you a little bit more aware of your own bullshit. And I was like, uh, uh-huh. Maybe you shouldn't wait 10 years to go do that thing that would bring you a lot of joy, Kristen. Maybe you could start now. And so I started warming up to this idea of like, okay, what would be the itsy bitsy babyest way that I could start dipping my toe into this dream of living in Mexico, which again came from God knows where. I don't know. I don't know. I am, if you are only listening to the audio, Spoiler alert, I am white as shit. I got blonde (laughs) hair. I grew up in suburbia. My parents don't know where I came from. I swear to God, I've got a Latina inside of me, but I grew up in white bread America. I look as white as they come. I don't know where this love of Mexican culture came from, but it's there and we got to respect it. So I don't know where that came from, but I was thinking about like, okay, what's the itsy bitsy babyest way I could start going towards this dream of mine. And that's something I really recommend with any of us, any dream that you've got, start with the 1%, you know, like your podcast and its mission, 1% growth. What's the itsy bitsy babyish step you could take towards pursuing that dream? So I did that with myself and I was like, the itsy bitsy babyish step I could take towards pursuing my dream of living in Mexico was to make an Airbnb board of beach houses in Mexico. So I did. I made an Airbnb board of um, places I'd love to live in Puerto Vallarta. I had just gone in January of 2020. And I, um, then I let it go. I just kind of like let it go and I kept moving on with my life. But at the time I thought, you know, maybe I could go and live for a month and then come back to San Francisco. And when I thought about that, I was like, maybe August or September. I was having this thought process in, um, in February, right before COVID, my friends, hits the US. And um, I'm like, maybe August or September, right? It's always convenient to like push it many months mm-hmm. off in the distance. And then I let it go. I stopped thinking about it. And this is the magical way that this universe works. In June, I was in the middle of... Um, 
moderating this panel of the most badass women in the wine industry, talking about um, how to pivot your career in the wine industry. This is my first time moderating a big panel with big names in it. And I'm moderating the panel and my phone is off to the side in case the, moder uh, the, the director of the program needed to message me to be like, wrap it up, you know? Um, and I get a text message from one of my roommates in San Francisco saying, hey, let's talk. Whenever you get a text <laughs> message that starts with, hey, let's talk, it's bad news bears. And my stomach dropped and I was like, oh. <laughs> I knew exactly what it was going to be. I had a four bedroom place in San Francisco, which you're not going to pay for as a 30 year old woman by yourself, unless you are an heiress. Um, so I had roommates that I was, and I was the oldest standing roommate there. So I always had to fill this place with people and it was exhausting. And like, once again, somebody's going to leave the apartment. I just kind of recollect myself, keep moderating the panel. A few hours later, another roommate texts me and says, hey, Kristen, I wanted to talk to you about this in person. I was staying at a, at a friend's, I was using a friend's house that she wasn't in um, and staying there to kind of get out of the city for a little while during COVID. Um, I wanted to talk about this with you in person, but I'm, I'm thinking of leaving. She had just moved in one month earlier and I was like, but at that moment, it wasn't just, it was, it was a, it wasn't anger. I felt, I felt total clarity of like, this is it. This is the moment. And I had said months earlier, if I have to fill this God blessed apartment one more time, when two roommates leave and I have to fill two people again, I'm done. And that's exactly what the universe gave me right on schedule two roommates, same day, they hadn't even talked to each other in advance about both wanting to leave at the same time. It was like the neon flashing sign in my own life of this is it. And I just had this, this total clarity of you should move to Mexico. Now's the time to just give up the apartment and move to Mexico. And in a month and a half, I sold most everything that I own. I packed up my place. I put in my notice for the apartment and I moved to Mexico. <laughs> so that's what brings us here with this delightful Frida painting behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that because it's, it's so important to continue to follow that. And I think we, you and I were speaking where no matter how far along you are in the journey, there's always new versions of that thing that's scary for you, right? So that's oh, yeah. such, a, such a perfect example. And what, what a great way to lead by example, right? It's something that you've always wanted to do uh, and it felt scary for you and you took that leap. Uh, and, uh, and obviously then now there's gonna be another leap down in the future. So that, so that always continues to come up and, uh, and it's so important, so important. So appreciate you sharing that. And from, from what I hear, you're loving being in Mexico. So that's, uh, I am, <laughs> I am loving living in Mexico and it's just another confirmation for myself of like, when you listen to your heart and you have the courage to take action on what it's telling you, even when it's asking you to sacrifice things. And for me in the past, that's even been loves of my life, romantic relationships, or the beautiful San Francisco apartment in the Mission District in this great spot, you know, with the rent that's like from six years ago, you know? I mean, like I was clinging to that. When you have the courage to sacrifice those things and let them go, you are always invited into a bigger, better, more expansive experience, always. Yeah. And this was just like another fresh uh, moment driving that home in my own life. Yeah, just another confirmation on yep. the path. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the word I was looking for, confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Kristen, if you know, you've, you've shared so much um, great, uh, I don't want to say content because that doesn't have the, it's not just content, it's your, it's your story and your journey. And um, there's so much weight behind it and, and a lot of teachings, you know, you, you've, you've um, put on the educator, the coach, 
hat on as part of your journey and share that with us. I've taken a lot away myself and you've given me some, some light bulb moments in the conversations. I'll have to go back and reflect on that. Um, but if somebody wants to engage with you and work mm-hmm. with you, and I'm sure there's folks listening in and that have really resonated with your message, you know, how can people find you? Well, I am, I'm on Instagram. That's one of the easiest ways to find me. So my name, it's my name, Kristen Brabant. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N. And my last name, B-R-A-B-A-N-T, coaching. So Kristen Brabant Coaching um, on Instagram is a great way to stay connected with me. I will post workshops that I'm doing there um, so people can find out about workshops that I'm doing to just kind of try before you buy and, and see if, if you resonate with the work. Um, and if people ever wanted coaching, I work primarily with female entrepreneurs, with women small business owners. I also work with women who are um, in the corporate space and thinking about what's next, whether that's growth within their own company or pivoting to perhaps start their own business or pursue a new career path. If that's you and you are looking for someone to go on that journey with you, then I recommend going to my website, which is just my name, kristenbrabant.com, and filling out the contact form. And I will reach out to you and we'll schedule a call. And I am excited to hear what somebody is craving what somebody's going for that's my favorite thing is helping people achieve their big dreams their big goals thank you thank you for sharing that and yeah. uh you know you're no, you know where to find her check her out she's awesome as you can tell from the episode so thank you again Kristen, for joining us today this has been an amazing episode uh and thank you for joining us from mexico i'm glad the wi-fi is working very nicely uh, oh, it's, i hope it's working nicely i don't <laughs> <laughs> There's no problems in the episode. So, so thank you again, Kristen, for joining us today. Thanks, Tay. It's been so much fun with you.